I'm going to be talking about the end of sin. And I'm going to look at 1 John chapter 3. I don't think we will get this done in one session. We will have to do maybe two or three sessions in a series on talking about the ending of sin. Now, what I'm going to say to you today is, I believe, going to revolutionize your life. It's revolutionized my way of thinking about myself, thinking about sin, uh, and thinking about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. When we start to realize that there is a completely different way of looking at sin, a way that is outside of the traditional way, wherein sin was simply just a transgression of the commandment in the sense of um, you don't obey the Ten Commandments, then you will, when you start to realize that sin is much, or there's a different way of looking at sin, a way which is not judicial. There's another way, a relational way of looking at sin. When we start to see that, we start to see the, the language that John spoke. The Apostle Paul spoke so much on the resurrection. I mean, everything about his life was based on the resurrection of Jesus. And the same for John. When we read just the Gospel of John, we find everything is actually about the resurrection. When we look at 1 John, it is almost scary. We, you find an absolute obsession, if you want to call it like that, with the resurrection. Everything is written in the light of a glorified human who has a physical body that is seated at the right hand of God, wherein salvation came to a human being, wherein there is no darkness in that human being whatsoever, and then that darkness is connected with sin and death. That is uh, what John says. Now I'm going to just, I mean in the week I spoke to the web pastors and I said I want to minister on this. And uh, it is challenging to minister on this because uh, it's a difficult concept to communicate. But I'm just going to give it my best shot. And like you guys know, I've prayed and uh, my trust is in the Holy Spirit to bring this forth clearly. Amen. We're going to read from 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And I want to say this. Um, if you can, when you listen to this, take your Bible and read with me. And as you read with me, you pause and you read a little bit more. Read two or three verses further. Read a little bit of the previous chapter. And you will start to see how these things just start to make so much more sense because of seeing a little bit of light and then you take that light to the other scriptures will just help you a lot. But let us read 1 John 3 verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he, 
and in the King James is with a small he there, but that he you can put there, take your pen and make, make it a capital there, talking about Jesus. It says there, and every man that has this hope in himself purifies himself, even as he, Jesus, is already pure. Then it goes on, it says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now, um, in a penalty substitutionary atonement theory, which some of you might watch me for the very first time or see this on television and not know exactly what I mean by penalty substitution atonement theory. Now, I do believe that Jesus was, uh, uh, he, he was an atonement for us and that the, the consequences of Adam's disobedience did come upon Jesus. But what I mean when I say penalty substitution atonement theory, I'm talking about the judicial approach of the salvation plan, wherein it works like this. God is holy. He made man upon the earth, and he had to basically see if man would be faithful to him, and man had to obey him. Therefore, he put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, and then man had to obey God, and should he obey God, he would be blessed. Should he not obey, he will be punished because God is an infinite holy God. And this is now where the real penalty substitutionary thought starts. It's all judicial. Since God is then a infinite holy God, the only punishment that would justify disobedience to the commandment would be infinite torture and punishment in hell. That is basically where everything starts. It starts with a judicial approach to who God is and our relationship with Him. Now, when we would read this passage where it says, whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law, we would immediately have a judicial mindset. We would immediately look at this thing as, well, God has placed laws, and if you don't obey the law, you qualify for punishment, and because you qualify for punishment, you actually have to die, because God will have to punish whosoever is disobedient. And then we got, come with a good news, uh, kind of a good news, and we say, therefore God uh, brought forth Jesus, he pre prepared the body, on the cross all the anger of God was poured out on Jesus, and God punished Jesus upon the cross, and as he punished him upon the cross because of man's disobedience to the law, therefore, um, you know, it was just and right that God inflicted that punishment on, on him, and now the legal requirement of the law is justified, and since that is now justified, God has got no legal standing wherein he can ever punish us again. So basically referring and thinking that when we come before God, then we can stand before God for, uh, within the perspective and the safety of the law, meaning that God has got no legal basis wherein he can ever punish us because Jesus was punished for all our sins. Now I want to say to you that the deepest revelation you can have of God in that understanding is a loving judge a good judge. It's like watching YouTube. You get some of these judges that are very good and kind and all those kind of things and 
um, you will see he's a loving judge, but you will also know that he is a judge. And that judge, you will never see him as a father. You will just see him as a loving judge. That's how deep this love will go into your heart. But now, I want to look at a different uh, uh, perspective of this law. This law here, when it says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. We have to go to Romans chapter 10. I'm going to look at a, at a deeper understanding of the law. Because, church, we have to continue in our understanding on what the law is. Number one, the law was given to the Jews. It was not even given to the Gentiles. It was given to the Jews. And the purpose of the law was to preach Jesus. It was a schoolmaster pointing us unto Jesus. Now, a schoolmaster, if he wants to keep his job, he must do his work. And what is the work? Of the law. The work of the law was to point you to Jesus so that you can believe upon Jesus that he can save you. That is the work of the law. So the commandment, the whole Old Testament law is called righteous and holy and good. Why is the law good? The law is good because it points you away from trying to obey the law by doing the commandments of the law, but obeying the true commandment of the law, which is believe in Jesus. And I'm going to read that to you from uh, Romans now. Romans chapter 10. And let us look at verse 4 there. Romans 10 verse 4, it says, let us read from uh, verse 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So what he was saying here is that Israel at the time when he was writing this was not saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Meaning that they, they, um, th they're passionate for God, but they don't know they don't have knowledge on what this law is actually all about. That's why they're trying to seek righteousness by the works of the law and not by the faith that the law actually pointed unto. It goes on in verse 3. It says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end or the conclusion of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So what he is actually saying here, the Afrikaans says it beautiful, it also it basically says there that the bottom line conclusion of the law is Christ. The bottom line conclusion of the law is Christ. That's why I love the law. Why do I love the law? Because the law commands me to believe in Jesus and not to be saved by my own works. That is what the law actually says. Now, he who is a transgressor of the law or a sinner uh, according to the law is he that wants to obey the commands of the law. When I talk about the Ten Commandments and the, all these rituals, Jewish feasts and all those kind of things, so that you by those can have a righteousness before God. The law actually points you away from the commandments of the law. You might say, Barry, but that, that cannot be. Let us just read chapter 9, which just the verses just following before this. <clears throat> it says here in verse 30, But what shall we say then? 
that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought the fulfillment of the law, if I want to call it like that, by uh, not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. So you see, you can read the law to see the commandments of the law, or you can read the law as seeing that the law is a schoolmaster, and how do you obey your schoolmaster? You, if the schoolmaster's message is, listen, you believe upon Jesus, because that's how you'll be saved. If you obey the schoolmaster, you'll believe upon the Lord. Okay. Now, <clears throat> what was the end purpose of the law interpreted in its full message? The purpose of the law interpreted in its full message is to point you to Christ so that you may have life. But if you look at the law and you want to obey the commandments of the law wherein you use your own ability to use the rules of the law to find life by it, you will find that that law still instructs you unto Christ pointing out your inability and the death that's inside you. That is what it is. So now it goes on, and let us read here again. It says, listen to this. With this in mind, let's read again from verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now the moment you see son of God, you must see, your, see what it means is eternal, immortal, holy, righteous, forever. The son of God, Jesus, at the right hand of God, is showing what it means to be a son of God. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. He says, Now are, not will be, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear that, we sh that which we shall be. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. So we are the sons. But this son is not manifested. But we are sons. Okay? Very important to remember. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now, how is Jesus pure? How is Jesus pure? Jesus is pure by having no death in his body, by having no sin having nothing that can cause death and having no death. He's conquered that which can cause death and he has also conquered death itself. That is what, what he has. Now he says, every man that has the hope of the manifestation of sons in him purifies himself. How do you purify yourself? You are purifying yourself from transgressing what the true commandment of the law actually is. People would listen to the law, and then the commandment they would hear from the law is, you shall love your neighbor, you shall do this, you shall do this, shalt, 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 shalt not, and so forth. But now we know that the, the, the commandment was actually pointing to Christ. And now he is saying, the only way we can stand pure before God is by having the hope of bodily resurrection which is 
called the manifestation of the sons of God. I need to, I need to stand here for a while. Some of you might watch this for the first time. Please bear with me as I explain this, because this, this will, I can promise you, it will change the way you think about yourself, change the way you think about other people, change the way you read the Bible, change the way you see God, unto a place of effortless, powerful life that is born from the resurrected Jesus Christ and Him only. That is what it will have. So, uh, bear with me. It says here in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear. Wait, when he, what does he talk about when Jesus shall appear? John is having in mind here the day when Jesus will return to this earth, wherein He bodily the very same body that was raised from the dead, that has no bones in the grave, the very same physical body shall return. And in that day, what we really are, which is sons of God, unto whom belongs eternal life, shall manifest in the very same way as what had manifested in Jesus when He was resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. Our bodies shall be saved from all death. So what he's pointing to here is, he that has the hope of the bodily resurrection, not the hope of going to heaven one day when your spirit, your spirit going to heaven when you die, the hope of bodily resurrection. The Bible says he purifies himself even as Jesus is pure. So what are you doing when you believe upon that? When you believe upon that, you have passed, you have passed on from death into life. You are now beholding bodily purity, wherein sin in the flesh was condemned, death in the flesh was condemned, and you are beholding the resurrected Jesus as the truth about your life, and you are now having an expectation from that reality that that, will, that truth will manifest in your life. And that's how you purify yourself. You purify yourself from death. That is what's happening and whatsoever leads to death. So how are we pure before Him? Only way you can purify yourself or be pure before Him as He is pure or holy is by simply having the hope of bodily resurrection. That is what it says. So that, is that so easy? Yes, that is it. It says here in verse 4, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. Talking about, I believe here, then the law of life. For sin is a transgression of the law. He that, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son, uh, son manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil or sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, 
I mean, when we read that, we can easily say, but what if I now drink one beer too much? Or what if I uh, swear at someone? I mean, that means I've now committed a sin. And here the scripture is clear. It says that he that is born of God cannot sin and so forth. You see, when you read 1 John 3, you need to completely change your definition of sin. When we look at sin here, he actually says that righteousness is to be in the way of life, which means to believe upon Jesus. And then in this way of life, which is to believe upon Jesus, which is the path of righteousness, or which is called here um, uh, in verse 4, to be purified by believing upon Him. That is called righteousness. Sin is then called basically the way of death, which leads unto death. And I'm going to share that with you on how I come to that conclusion. I want us to look at verse 8 here. It says, He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. So in other words, the devil sinned from the beginning, and you can commit sin, or endorse that sin, or actually have that sin continue to flow in you. That is what it is. The Bible says the devil sinned from the beginning. Remember in the week I put something on Facebook. I said, was there sin before man was, before man sinned? Was there any sin? Yes, the the devil sinned from the beginning. And we're going to see what that sin was. We're going to look at John 8. Let's go to John 8. And then we're going to start to put these things together. John 8. And I want to read from verse, um, let's read from verse 39, no, 34. Verily I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If you really understand what he's saying, here he's talking about the Jews that will not abide in the house forever because they will commit sin, which would then be to continue to walk in the law and not believe upon Jesus. 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen of my father, and you do that which you have seen of your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, If Abraham was your, um, if Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What was the work of Abraham? He believed upon Jesus that Jesus could raise his son from the dead, conquer sin or conquer death there, and give him what he has promised, which was life. That was what he believed. Remember, Abraham thought that his whole clan is going to die out. It's just him and his wife. The two of them are going to die, and then they're going to return to the dust of the earth, and nothing's going to come from them. Then God promised him life by promising him a seed so that he, his name can continue to live. What did he believe? He believed God could give me life. So it says, if you're a child of Abraham, you will not sin, which is what? To walk in unbelief. Right. 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So he says, you want to kill me. He says here that you are sinning. He says, whosoever commits sin is a servant of sin. And he says, now you want to kill me. 
he's, he's actually connecting sin here with killing and murder. We're going to see what this is now. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, We were not born of fornication, we even have God as our father. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. Neither come I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. Now listen to this. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? So what he's saying here is, and the Afrikaans says it better, the Afrikaans says that Satan was a murderer of man from the beginning. Says he was a sinner from the beginning, a murderer of man from the beginning. So what is sin? Sin would then be to want to kill, to want to murder. That is sin. So the devil wanted to bring sin which would lead unto death. He wanted to kill man. That is what he wanted to do. And that is seen as sin. Now let's read verse 8 again, 1 John 3, 8. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of Man manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now what was the work of the devil? The work of the devil was to get sin to enter humanity. And what would sin be? Sin would be a pathway unto death. That is what sin would be. What would the pathway unto death be? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what, what Satan wanted, he wanted to kill man and then bring man unto a pathway that leads unto death. That pathway unto death is called sin. So sin... In other words, that which brings death entered the world or entered the world through one man. So it was something that existed in the heart of Satan. A works righteous way of thinking. That sin entered the world and Satan had a work in Adam and Eve for the purpose of killing them. Destroying them. Now, Adam wasn't an inherent immortal being. He could die. But this being created from dust, should this being abide in the message of God or the promise of God's life, he would live forever. But should a way unto death enter his heart, which is works righteousness, that way would lead him unto death. Okay, that is what he's talking about here. Now let's read verse 8 again. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now what was the works of the devil? To kill man. How did Jesus destroy the work of the devil? By being raised from the dead. So, sin is to walk in mortality. Righteousness is to walk in immortality. That is what this is. This is what this whole thing is talking about. He comes and he's saying here, listen, 
we are called the sons of God. Sons of God means you have eternal life, meaning pure, without any cause of stumbling, you have eternal life. You are the sons of God. But know that what you are does not yet now manifest. So please don't think that you are not in the way of life. This is what John is trying to communicate here. He's trying to say that should you believe on the resurrected Jesus Christ, you are now in the way of life. You're not anymore in the way of death. Although what you are, this way of life, does not yet fully manifest. Almost like with Adam and Eve. When they sinned, the day they, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they sin entered their life. They disobeyed. They didn't believe in God. Sin entered, or the way of death entered their life. They, their nakedness was revealed, and it led unto death, although it was 900 years later. Now, after Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they found that they're now walking in their own ability. They found they don't have eternal life by their own works. Yet what they were, which is dust, did not yet manifest at that time. It manifested later. Remember what God said to Adam in Genesis 3. He said, Adam, dust you are, and you will toil the dust of the earth until you return to the dust that you came from. So, what he was actually saying to Adam is, you are but dust, but what you are does not yet appear, but it shall appear one day when you will die. But here he comes and uses basically the same understanding in the light of Jesus. He says, you are now called the Son of God, meaning you've got eternal, immortal life. You are pure before Him. You are purified before Him. You are as holy as what the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself is. But you might say, but I'm seeing nothing of that in my life. Yet he's saying, if you have the hope of the resurrection, you have purified yourself with the same purity as what Jesus had. For what you are does not yet appear. Now, when you have this hope of bodily resurrection, you are now purified from whatsoever promise there is in the law in obeying commandments of the law. I'm not talking about seeing the, the, the full message of the law. I'm not looking at it from a legalistic point of view wherein you try to obey the commandments of the law. You are now removed from that and you have moved from death unto life. You've moved from sin unto righteousness. The way leading unto death is called sin. And he who commits sin is he who believes in works righteousness. And the committing of that sin is actually then having the work of Satan, which is to kill you, manifest in your life. He who commits, he, he who actually, the better word for it would be, he who makes use of the murder plan that Satan had from the beginning, he is a sinner because he is implementing death. He's implementing death. Why was Satan called a sinner? Because he wanted to bring death. He wanted to, he implemented a system that could kill people. And that system of dying, that sin, the sin the devil committed, entered the world. The sin the devil committed which is 
I want to kill people. That sin system of works righteousness, the sin he, well, let me put it this way, the sin the devil committed, which was, I'm going to live by my own works. And then it brought death to him. He brought that system to man. And then sin, I would live by my own works, entered this world. Now the Bible says, you cannot sin. How does he get to that? Let me explain. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. The only way he could destroy the work of the devil is to provide bodily resurrection. For the work of the devil was to kill man. Verse 10. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Whosoever is born of God, or in other words, believe in the resurrected Jesus that has a life that is now born from the revelation of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He's not committing the system that's bringing death anymore. He's not committing that anymore. So the way you commit sin is by not believing upon Jesus and by being in a system where you die. But we who are born of God, we have got His seed in us, and that is the incorruptible seed according to Peter. What is the incorruptible seed? It means bodily immortality. We've got a seed of bodily immortality or the message of bodily immortality inside us. And as long as what you believe on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and expect that you shall be like that on account of God, you cannot enter into death. Although your body might die, Paul would call that fallen asleep. He would not even call it death. He calls it fallen asleep. He says those who has slept in Christ, 1 Corinthians 15. You cannot sin. Why? Because you've got eternal life. Can you see how the difference between eternal life uh, or the difference between righteousness and sin is actually the difference between eternal life and death. So how do we sin? We sin by having death abide in us. How do we have death abide in us? To be in the way of death. What is the way of death? The way of death is living by your own works, thinking that by your own good works you can build up a righteousness for yourself and that righteousness there then would give you life. That is sin. So why can we not sin? Because we cannot die. Why can we not die? Because God has put a human in the Godhead that cannot die and we have purified ourselves from sin and death by believing upon the resurrected Jesus. Yes, Bertie, but we do find Christians that do die. We call that sleep. They have not died. Those who, who, who don't believe in Jesus Christ, they will in the end enter the lake of fire which is called the second death, there they will die, those who haven't believed, and that will be a complete, utter death. It would be dying, dead, death. But we who have believed upon the Lord, we have the hope of the resurrection, and we've purified ourselves from sin, which is abiding in a way of death. That is what it means. So, I want to say this, and, and let's come to a, a a short conclusion here in the middle of the message. We conclude this, that if you believe that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead and you have the hope 
of bodily resurrection, and you're expecting that, you have purified yourself as he is pure, and you cannot break the law, for the law points you to Christ, who will be raised from the dead, who gives unto you eternal life, and you fully obeyed the law. You cannot break any law. You cannot, as long as what you are believing in the resurrected Jesus, you cannot sin. For it is fully righteous to believe upon God. And to sin means, or to commit sin, is to take the sin that the devil actually brought forth, which was belief in your own works. And now when you commit that, is when you believe in that. How do you commit righteousness? You commit righteousness by believing on Jesus Christ. How do you commit righteousness? You commit righteousness by having the hope of bodily resurrection. That's how you commit righteousness. He who does righteousness. Now with this in mind, I want us just to read um, verse 10 here. It says, well let's read verse 9 and 10. Whosoever is born of God, how are we born of God? You guys remember that teaching where I talk about being born of God? which means to, um, to have the resurrected Christ as your life. You believe upon that, and then you're born from that. Does not commit sin. So how do you commit sin? By not being born of God. How are you born of God? He who believes upon the Lord. He believes that Jesus is Lord. He's born of God. Okay? He that, com- he that acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he's born of God. Right? For his seed remains in, verse 9 again, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Can you see being, sinning or not sinning has got everything to do with do you live forever or not? We thought that you shouldn't sin so that you can live forever. No, it doesn't work like that. The way it works is like this. When you live forever, you cannot sin. And when you're not living forever, you are sinning. In other words, we had to be forgiven from dying. We had to be delivered from dying. That is what it means. You see, we have forgiveness in a very legalistic parameter, where it is a transgression of a certain commandment. Well, I didn't tithe. Now Jesus must forgive me. God must forgive me because he's actually keeping score of my sins. That's blasphemy. That is actually saying that God keeps his mind busy with the transgressions of 8 8 billion people on the earth. Or some would say he kept himself busy with that until Jesus came. after Jesus comes, he doesn't keep himself busy with that anymore, but only for certain sins. No. When we look at sin, we are looking at the sinner that was from the beginning, which is the murderer of man, and as his plan succeeds in you, by you believing in his logic, you have entered sin, and sin have entered your life, and now you are sinning by not having the promise of, of bodily immortality. That is what it is. But he who is born of God cannot sin. Why? Because he has been purified by the hope of immortality. How are we purified by the hope of immortality? We don't look at anything else to give us eternal life, but the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Verse 10. 
In this is the children of God, in this is the children, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that doesn't love his brother. Okay, so how is the children of God manifest and the children of the devil? He who does righteousness. What is righteousness and how do you do righteousness? The Bible says the righteousness of God is now revealed without the law. Romans 3 verse uh, uh, 19, 20, 21. And that righteousness of God is then Jesus being raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. How do you do this righteousness? You do it by believing on what that resurrection means and uh, uh, promises to us. When you believe upon that, you have done righteousness. You are doing the righteousness of God. You're believing. How is righteousness uh, imputed to us? By believing that God can do what He has promised. That is in Romans 4 clearly. Romans 5 very clear. Paul comes and uh, he, he says, Abraham, he believed that God could do what he has promised, which is to give him an heir, to actually give him eternal life. That is what it is all about. So when we look at that promise, when we see that promise and we believe in that promise, we're doing righteousness. Because to do righteousness is to believe what God says. To do sin is to believe what the devil says. That is as, as simple as what it is. And I want to say to Christians, if you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you believe that that means that it is not just your spirit getting saved and your body returning to dust, but you actually believe that the salvation is salvation from bodily physical death, if you have that hope in you, I want to tell you, you can never sin, for you've passed over from death into life. It is impossible for you to sin as long as what you believe that. It's impossible. Verse 11. For this is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and slew his brother. Now I want to just end off by explaining love to your neighbor here quickly because that's where we stumble. If you love your neighbor, what do you want for your neighbor? The Bible says if you see your neighbor having need of earthly things and you don't give it to him, how does the love of God, which we've preached in the previous three or four sessions which is the resurrection of God how does it dwell in you if you see your brother dying without food and you cannot give something to him what and this is just a type and a shadow that he's trying to explain here if you don't want life for him how does the love of God which is the message of life dwell in you and back in the day of John and the apostles there was big, 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 massive hatred between Jew and Gentile. Massive hatred. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They hated the Samaritans. They would not even, Samaritans hated the Jews. There was no peace amongst one another. And what he is saying here is that if you see bodily immortality as the hope for you, but you hate your brother, and hating your brother here is defined as not seeing that he is sharing in that life. Then you like Cain. You have not believed on the message. You have not believed on what he has done. So I want to say to you, every one of you 
that believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, and you believe that the same resurrection applies to Jew and Gentile, you are loving your brother. Loving means to see that he can also have eternal life, not wishing death and destruction upon him. So how do we love our neighbor? We love our neighbor by seeing that this message of the resurrection of Jesus is for both Jew and for both Gentile. And we who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, we can never be an agent of death. That would be sinning. How do you sin? You're an agent of death. How are you an agent of death? You're an agent of death by preaching the way of death or believing in the way of death, which is that you can have, that you have inherent immortality in you and this inherent immortality will manifest by the works of the law. That is how you're an agent of death. But if you're an agent of life, you are the man or the being that believes that the resurrected Jesus, his life is your life and you cannot sin. Meaning you cannot die. Somebody write to me, wrote to me on Facebook. He says, Betty, does it, do you want to say you're never going to die? And I think what he was trying to say is, do you say that your body can never die in this world? Can you never go to the grave or maybe be cremated or something like that? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, even if that would happen, I will treat it as what I treat a cough as pertaining to the life I have now. If I cough, does it mean I'm dead? No, it means I'm coughing. If I am sleeping in Christ, have I died? No, I have not died. And what that means is, Yes, bodily, you, you see this man has died, but I will be raised. For to me belongs eternal life. I am not in sin. I cannot sin. I cannot enter into the way of death or die anymore. Why? For his seed, like First Peter says, the message of the resurrection and the hope of immortality is inside me by the Holy Spirit. It says here, marvel not that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death or sins. How do you sin? By abiding in death. That is sin. Abiding in the message of death, not believing the message of the resurrection. That is the context of sin here. And if you had a place where you believe in the gospel in a way where you are, and the, it's difficult to have that context in today's church because we don't live like that anymore. In those days, they believed that Jesus only came for the Jews. The Jews believed, well, you know, um, w w the Messiah came for us. They believed the gospel message. They didn't even preach it in the beginning to the Gentiles. They still hated the Gentiles. And they said, well, Jesus was raised from the dead, but only for us. If you believe that, you have not understood the gospel. You have not truly understood the gospel. We know that the early church was open for the true gospel because when the Lord shared with them, they believed it. But there were people in this time, in John's time, 
Gentiles as well, Paul addressed it in Romans, when they said to them, listen, the Gentiles ought to believe that Jews cannot be saved for God has cut them out and the resurrection is not unto them. That is called hating your brother. Hating your brother. Hating your brother is like Cain, who is in the way of death, who sees death to his brother, who cannot allow his brother to have life. So I want to say to you, and this is my message to you today, and I'll have to preach on this for another Sunday or two, but sinning, to sin is not to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And should you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, you are on the way of death, for what you are does not yet appear. But you are, you are holy, you are righteous, and the Bible says here, and every man that this has this hope of being manifested bodily in the fullness of what Jesus manifested, he purifies himself even as he is pure. Purifying from what? From death. And whatsoever leads to death. So sin would simply be to be abiding in death, which is the satanic system of you are what you do, and you can have life by your works. That would be seen as sin. I would actually say the better way for me to say sin is missing the goal that God has for you, not sharing in what God has dreamt for you, and that is the way of death. Now, he that believes in Jesus does not commit sin. You're not committing the way of death, but you're committing the way of righteousness. Amen and amen. Thank you so much that you have listened to this message. I know this will get us to think. There's a lot to say about this, many passages that I didn't touch on, but I trust that this will bless you. I would like to pray for you. Father, I want to thank you so much that we are not sinners, we who believe in Jesus, that he was bodily raised from the dead. But Father, we can also see how the devil has come and tried to trick the church into an almost resurrectionless gospel, wherein they wanted man, when Satan wants man again to be deceived into the way of death, wherein everything is about our spirits, where we just, our spirits just go to heaven where salvation is defined as going to heaven, where salvation is defined as where you go when you die. But Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the spirit of truth, where you've come to reveal the truth, that our hope is not in going to heaven anymore. Our hope is not, where, our hope is not in where our spirits go when we die. But our hope is that in the day when you come, that we shall be manifested as the true sons of God, which is only revealed in bodily resurrection, wherein we bodily as full humans share in the fullness of God. Thank you that that truth is permeating the church and will go forth like a fire and manifest and burn in people's hearts and that people will see that as they believe this truth, they cannot sin. It's impossible for them to sin. They will also find from this truth that they love the lives of their brothers. They're not wishing death on any person. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for watching this. You know, I, I just want to say this. I, I want to say this before the time. It's a little bit off the topic. But 
um, it can also bless you. When we look at, I mean, in America, they've just had the midterm elections and uh, the whole political thing. And we find that politics is all over the news and the whole of a nation in the time of um, uh, uh, election or something like that. It is they all full of what does this one say, what does that one say, and so forth. And I found the same thing in South Africa, maybe not as big as in the United States and as powerful. I mean, people don't have the money to do those campaigns and everything. But one thing I've seen about politics is it's like the law. It points you to Christ. For you can see, even if a whole nation, a whole nation, millions, put all their power together to come to a solution on how to keep a country safe and prospering, we find that it never works. It just points to man's inability to do something. And we cannot find our hope in that. And I want to just say to people, if, if I, I mean, I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. I believe, it's like, I think Connie Witter wrote this, the greatest way you can ever be involved in politics is to pray for your leader that you will have a peaceful time. That, that's it. That's, I think that is the greatest way. Smaller ways, which are also ways where you can be involved. And people want to crucify me, but I, I've been crucified many times by people. And I'm not scared of saying what I believe in my heart. And I will say it straight out. And this is just the truth. A much, one of the smallest ways you can ever be involved in politics is voting. The greatest way is praying. And I would say the most beautiful way of seeing politics is seeing it as man's ability to implement laws, to take constitutions and apply the law of the constitution to people thinking you're going to have safety. It's an empty lie, man. It's an empty lie. The only thing that will ever bring peace to this world is the Prince of Peace, Jesus. No other way. I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't be tempted to go into the way of death. Believe upon the bodily resurrection of Jesus, for that is the only way wherein people in this world will look like Jesus. There is simply no other way. So be involved in the politics. Do your thing. Post your post. Do whatever you think you need to do. But I want to just say this. It's not a way unto life. It's not a way unto life. Be careful that you're not starting to sin there. And that sin would be not to have your hope in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but in your political leader can destroy your life. Thank you for watching, and I want to say that you are loved and blessed, and then I will see you again next.